Welcome to the Mountain Park Church Podcast. We're excited to share this week's message with you. Our mission is to allow God to work in and through us, and we'd love to hear your story of how God has been working in or through you. Email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in and through you. Okay, Mountain Park House Church family, Pastor Andrew here. It's amazing to spend time with you digitally, wherever you're watching this from or listening to this. My prayer today is that together we uh, peel another layer of this onion off as it relates to our ability to discern and hear the voice of God. We're stepping into part five of this Hearing God series and uh, we'll probably go another week or so and then we're actually gonna dip back into our Ephesians series. We've been studying the book of Ephesians for a while now. We're gonna jump back into that and spend some time uh, working through that book of Ephesians. I think that what we're learning here in this series is foundational to how we interpret and understand scripture even. So I just wanna give you a bit of a review of where we've been. Of course, you can go back and listen to all of the previous messages if you'd like, but here's a bit of a, a, a catch up, if you will, on where we've been. So, so far we've learned that even today still, uh, we believe and deeply believe that God still speaks in many ways. You can reference Acts 2, uh, verses 17 to 21 uh, for part of that reference, but God still speaks in many ways. And uh, he speaks through his written word. He speaks through uh, circumstances and events. And we're gonna be talking about some of that. He speaks through supernatural uh, means to us. He speaks through his still small voice in us. He speaks through other people. God speaks through other people in our life. Uh, there's many ways he speaks through dreams and visions and all of these things. God still speaks in many ways. Number two that we've been learning is, although he does speak in many ways, his preferred method of communication is his still small voice. You can go take a look at Psalm 32. Well, why don't I just uh, flip to it right now? Psalm 32 verses eight and nine is a great example of this. Uh, this is uh, what David says. The Lord says, okay, this is God speaking, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life, all right? I wanna lead you. And I don't wanna lead you along the worst path. I don't want your life to be filled with unnecessary pain and heartache. It's already gonna be filled with enough of that. So I wanna lead your life, okay? Um, God goes on to say, I will advise you and watch over you. Of course, that advising has to come through God's personal communication and speaking to us. That's how he advises us and he wants to watch over us. God goes on to say, don't be like a senseless horse or mule that needs a bit and bridle to keep it under control. So I don't wanna just lead you by um, blind force or by um, nudges or circumstance or, you know, um, indistinct and indescript events or patterns in your life. I wanna lead you personally by speaking to you. You can also reference Jesus's own words in John 10. My sheep hear my voice, they know it and they follow me. So God does speak in many ways, but his still small voice, his direct 
communication through his still small voice is, I think, his primary mode of communication and the one that he wants us to best understand. And number three that we've been learning, to know that voice, we must practice and test. We cannot know it by passing along information. Uh, You cannot know the voice of God for yourself by just simply listening to this or any of our other messages. Hebrews 5 tells us, uh, the writer of Hebrews says that maturity has nothing to do with the amount of information you possess about God. It doesn't have anything to do with how much of the Bible you know. It has everything to do with our ability to discern between good and evil in our senses, all right? So uh, this thing called faith and our walk with God, our discipleship to him, our apprenticeship to Jesus is fundamentally experiential. And the Bible does not um, say otherwise. The Bible doesn't teach that our Christian life is one dimensional in any sense of the word. And so to hear and uh, confidently know the voice of God, you must practice, you must test, you must learn it. I don't think that any one of us will ever 100% of the time with 100% certainty be able to say, yes, I always can know the, I always know the voice of God. I never question it. I never wrestle with it. I don't think that's a reality, but I do believe that as we test and practice, we can grow to have a great certainty that we are able to recognize uh, the voice of God. And we're going to talk more about that today. Number four, we've learned that God wants to lead us personally, and that he speaks clearly. Just go back to that verse in Psalm 32 or John 10 for that reference. Number five, the majority of this speaking to us takes place in our uh, innermost being, in our spirit or our heart. Proverbs 20, 27, the spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord. You can also um, turn and look into 1 Corinthians 2 to get an idea of how this uh, interaction takes place between the Holy Spirit that comes to dwell in our spirit to communicate um, the deep things, the mysteries of God to us because we have the mind of Christ and because he enables us to understand these things. That communication happens in our innermost being. It happens through our thoughts our perceptions, our attending feelings to those. Hearing his voice is not just about hearing an audible voice. Um, God often speaks through our thoughts or God will speak to us through someone else. He'll communicate to us through someone else. I, uh, in our group, one of our group experiences this week, after we took communion, I just sensed the prompting of God. Um, we were in a, in a short lab assignment like we do in those, a short lab assignment where I was teaching people, we were specifically asking to hear God speak words of truth over our life. We had just taken communion. We had just walked through um, sort of hearing God's voice of conviction, bring conviction to our life over sin or over patterns of thinking or over areas of our life where we had resisted him or over uh, specific areas that were strongholds, hidden patterns of believing or thinking. And 
We had as a group invited God to speak to us individually and bring conviction of anything he wanted to. And then in the process of communion, we took uh, communion and we walked through individually just laying these things at the feet of Jesus and repenting of them, renouncing their influence and effect over our life. And part of what we would do next is ask the Holy Spirit to renew us. Communion itself is a reminder of the truth and reality of what Jesus has done for us. It's a reminder of how deeply we are loved by God. It's a reminder of the great lengths to which God would go to restore relationship to us. It's a reminder that the blood of Jesus covers all of our sin. He was the perfect atoning sacrifice for our lives. And so as I invited the group to just um, we, we had a bit of worship music on. I just said, all right, we just want to take a few moments in silence and just listen for God to speak truth over you. And I just sensed after a few minutes, God bringing scripture to mind about who he was. Scripture like, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Scripture like, my grace is sufficient for you or my mercy is new every morning. Scripture like, you're fearfully and wonderfully made by me. Scripture um, that talks about who God is and who we are. And I said to the group after, don't you realize that it's God who is bringing these scriptures to my mind and I'm communicating, but God is speaking through me, his word to you. And they were direct sort of references to scripture and God does that sometimes. And he does that by bringing and reminding us of things, reminding us, triggering thoughts and perceptions and feelings. And sometimes we see a word or we hear him whisper something to us, but these are the ways that God speaks in our inner being. Um, next, number six, the Holy Spirit searches the depths of God and wants to communicate the knowledge of God to us, okay? So that's back to 1 Corinthians 2, verses 10 to 16. All right, that's a fact. That's just a, a fact of scripture. Number seven, seventh thing that we've been learning, and we've been practicing these, and we've been leaning into these in our group experiences. Seventh thing, we have strongholds. We talked about this last week, which are patterns of thinking or belief or understanding or perception in our heart, and in our mind, okay? Second Corinthians 10, three to five. These strongholds are largely subconscious. We're not even aware of these patterns of thinking. These strongholds predominantly are rooted in pride. Uh, the pride of our heart and our innermost being that we put up against God, against his voice, the pride of our life, like I, I'm in control of this, I don't need your help, God, or the pride of like, no, uh, this is the way things are going to work, or no, this is the way my family is, or this is the way this situation is, and the pride um, that is subversively at work, these patterns need to be uh, exposed, and they block us from hearing the heart of God for us, and they actually hold us in bondage. So, there's many things going on in our innermost being that we need clarity on. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about how we can recognize the nature and character of God's voice in our life. So uh, what are the tools that we can use to discern that? 
How do we know God is speaking? How do we know it's not the devil speaking? How do we know it's not just ourselves speaking? There's three points of reference that I want to draw your attention to, and these are helpers for us. None of these in an isolated case are necessarily definitively the voice of God. Um, and these are all work together. They interchange together. They can't really be separated out from one another, but there are three points of reference that help us along the way in discerning the voice of God. In some ways, you could think of these a bit like guardrails on the road, all right? So these three sort of points of discernment are, number one, the Bible, number two, the circumstances around us, and number three, the, the inner impressions we get from the Holy Spirit. So number one, number one tool for discerning whether it's actually the voice of God you're hearing is the Bible. It is by far the number one and most substantial. So we can know definitively that is the voice of God if it corresponds with clear uh, statements or the clear meaning of scripture, all right? So we can know definitively, like God says, um, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. You shall have no other gods before you. Um, that's clear. That's a clear statement for our life. You need to examine your life. Is there something in your life that is actually taking the seat of the, uh, of the sort of the primacy of God in your life, that number one place uh, in your life. We can know from Scripture, God says, uh, you know, that he doesn't lie. So we know that God doesn't walk around, um, you know, tricking us. He, he doesn't lie to us. He doesn't speak dishonestly to us. These are things that we can know. So if we use sound methods of biblical interpretation of passages— we can know, uh, for instance, at all times that we're not to worship idols. Okay, we, we just, we can know that. Or we can know definitively at all times and in all situations, uh, we're not to covet. We're not to covet the other things that other people have. We're not to covet what we ourselves don't have, all right? So these are biblical imperatives that we find in Scripture that we can know at all times, like these are the direct word of God for us. The question is, what do we do when there's no clear directive in the Bible about the thing which we're seeking discernment for in our life? Like, there's nothing in the Bible that told you to marry the person you're married. There's nothing in Scripture in the Bible that told you to take the job that you have or to go to school this year or do these other things. So then when Scripture is ambiguous in that way or it's not specifically directed at these specific nuanced circumstances, how do we understand and, and rely and hear the revelation of the Holy Spirit in that? Um, What's clear for us biblically is that God will never contradict his word, all right? So um, in discerning whether God is speaking to us, he'll never contradict his word. Uh, you know, 
like you, I, I have many friends in many different life circumstances and situations, and I've heard um, just pastorally even, or I've sat down with people or had friends in my life or people that I know who have said things like, you know, they're married and said, well, I'm just not, I'm just not in love with my wife anymore. There's no passion there. And I feel like God is leading me out of the relationship. I feel like he's releasing me out of the relationship. And the biblical answer is an emphatic no. That is not categorically, most assuredly not the voice of God. Why? Because that directly contradicts his word. It contradicts scripture. We are released from marriage. Uh, if you want to talk very specifically scripture, we are released from marriage at death, all right? So when one of us dies or in adultery, often we add abuse into that and other things, but that's actually not even specifically found in scripture. And I'm not suggesting if you're in a, an abusive relationship right now that you need to stay in the, in the home and with your spouse. That's not at all what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that, um, you know, we can be sure to know that those thoughts in your heart or in your mind, they're not coming from God. That's not the voice of God because it directly contradicts scripture. When you are, you know, tempted to, uh, you know, go out and you do stuff you shouldn't do, um, to, to go further sexually with your girlfriend or boyfriend, then you should. That is, that's the voice of God would never condone that. The voice of God would never tell you, hey, uh, why don't you just dabble in a little bit more sin? Because you're saved by grace anyway. So it doesn't really matter. The voice of God doesn't do that. All right. So we need to know scripture. Scripture is the definitive line that we draw in the sand to know whether or not we're within the bounds of something that God would direct us toward, okay? So with some of these, they're imperative and we don't have to guess about it, but with other things, we need to understand not just the imperative, but what is the larger principle in scripture that's at play? When we are reading scripture and there's no specific command for this, then we need to go to, okay, what is the, what is the principle that God has set out that is for our good to live within the bounds of his desire for our life and the bounds of what he would speak to us and say to us? And so he's not saying to, um, to, to always be walking the line with sin. In fact, Jesus in the New Testament, if you want to talk about trajectory with morality, with sin, with sexuality, with all kinds of these things, the trajectory doesn't loosen up from the Old Testament. You thought the Old Testament law was harsh. Jesus in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he says, you know, you have heard it said, you know, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Jesus ups the ante with the expectation of our life. He doesn't relax it. We have a whole movement in our Christian culture right now that because of cultural pressure is trying to make the Bible say things it doesn't say about sexuality and morality and how to live before God. 
And it's our, our culture is caving under the, the, the pressure. Our biblical culture is caving under this pressure to loosen the reins and say, well, you know, God is actually okay with that. He's fine with you going out and living that way and making those choices and doing those things. But we don't see that trajectory in scripture. Jesus says it's, it's no longer just about what you do. It's about what's in your heart that's driving what you do. The, the call of scripture is to say it's no longer about just doing the right things. It's about the deep hidden motivation in our heart, the, the why we want to do those things that Jesus wants to put his finger on. Why do we desire the things that we know are outside of the bounds for what God says is right and good? Jesus doesn't want to just deal with the symptom anymore. He wants to, to probe right to the heart. That's why he said things like, you know, um, you have heard it said, do not murder. But I tell you, if you're angry with your brother or sister, you've already committed murder in your heart. What is that? That's, that's not Jesus going, hey, let's just all sit back. Um, you know, let's, let's crack open a beer together and life is smooth. Life is easy. Just relax. You're under grace. That's never the heart of God. And so we can know that we're not hearing the voice of God when we are hearing a rationalization, even an intellectual, academic reading of Scripture that rationalizes behavior that God says, grieve him. We can know that that's not actually the heart of God. I want to just bring up one misconception here that some people have about the Bible. And this misconception is that the Bible is all I need. All right, so the Bible is all I need for discipleship and growth. If I just know more of the Bible, I will grow. If I just knew more of it, then I would develop in maturity. That's actually not true. And it's not biblical. While the Bible is essential and important, the Bible is one of the things behind Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit, one of the things that I love. But this is not true to believe that if I just knew more of it, I would automatically be growing in depth and in maturity. Actually, Peter said that we can distort and twist Scripture. Listen to this in 2 Peter 3.16. He's talking about Paul's writing, and he's sitting down with some believers, and he's saying, speaking these things in all of his letters. He's talking about Paul's letters. Some of his comments are hard to understand, and those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different just as they do with other parts of scripture. And get this, and this will result in their destruction. So Peter is saying, you can actually take the Bible and twist it and distort it. Twist it and distort it, and it can lead to your destruction. You can misuse scripture. Scripture itself on an island by itself is not sufficient for maturity and growth. It's an essential component of that. But the Bible itself can be a tool of the devil 
or of your own flesh. If you don't believe me, just come back to Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. What does the devil use to tempt him? He uses scripture. He uses the very words of the Bible to entice Jesus into disobedience and unfaithfulness. Look up Luke chapter four. I wanna just draw your attention as well to the scribes and the Pharisees. The scribes and the Pharisees knew the scriptures upside and down. Many of these scribes and Pharisees who were confronting Jesus had virtually memorized the whole Old Testament. Many of these men had spent from when they were very young to the, their present age, memorizing and learning scripture. They knew it up and down and left and right and backwards and forwards, but they used scripture for the very purpose of avoiding Jesus and his claims about who he was and what he was here to do. John 5, 37, this is Jesus speaking to the Pharisees and scribes. You have never heard his voice or seen him face to face. All right, so get this distinction here. They knew the scriptures, but they'd never heard his voice or seen him face to face. You do not have his message in your heart. Ouch! Because you do not believe in me, the one he has sent you. You search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life but the scriptures point to me, yet you refuse to come to me to have and receive this life. This, again, I don't want you to misunderstand me. I love and cherish the scriptures. I spend a good chunk of the very beginnings of the early morning by myself in prayer and then in the word. I use it to feed and nourish me daily. I love the Bible, I do. With all of my heart, I do. But the Bible alone is not sufficient and God never intended it to be the only thing. If you believe that just knowing more of the Bible will lead you to maturity, will guard you against, uh, you know, of being wrong about hearing the voice of God will give you a 100% all of the time accurate interpretation of whether it's God speaking or not, you are misled. As Jesus said here, there's a distinction between knowing the word and hearing the voice of God and knowing the word and having met in a personal way the heart of God. John, in 1 John, the Apostle John said this, I'm writing these things to warn you. Okay, let me just back up one sec. John is writing to uh, some fellow believers who have, are, are confronting some, he's confronting some false teachers. And this is the point that I wanna make with this. And the whole point I wanna make with this whole thing is that, we absolutely need the Holy Spirit speaking and bringing to life the word, uh, validating what's true, how to understand it. We absolutely need the Holy Spirit in order 
to stay within the bounds of what God says is right and true, even about the scripture. So John says this, he says to the believers who are confronting false teachers, you have received the Holy Spirit and he lives within you. So you don't need anyone to teach you what is true. For the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know and what he teaches is true. It's not a lie. So just as he has taught you, remain in fellowship with Christ. I, I don't know if you got that. <laughs> he says, you have the Holy Spirit. Jesus said the Holy Spirit, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to reveal to us, to teach us and remind us of everything Jesus had taught and said. The Holy Spirit, one of his roles is to be our counselor and instructor. And John, John says, you don't need anybody else to teach you. The Holy Spirit himself wants to teach you and illuminate truth through the word. You must read this in partnership with the Holy Spirit and be able to discern and hear his voice as you're reading scripture, okay? I wanna give you a quote from William Law. William Law said this, without the present illumination of the Holy Spirit, the word of God must remain a dead letter to every man, no matter how intelligent or well-educated he may be. It is just as essential for the Holy Spirit to reveal the truth of scripture to the reader today as it was necessary for him to inspire the writers thereof in their day. Therefore, to say that because we now have all the writings of scripture complete, we have the completed canon, we no longer need the miraculous inspirations of the spirit among men as in former days is a degree of blindness as great as that can be charged upon the scribes and Pharisees, nor can we possibly escape their same errors. For in denying the present inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we have made scripture the province of the letter learned scribe. What's he saying? These words can be twisted by the enemy. They can be twisted by your own selfish and evil desires. We need the speaking and uh, leading of the Holy Spirit. We need his revelation in order for this scripture, for this written word of God to come alive in our life. The second tool for discernment, all right? So that, that's scripture is the number one tool for us in discerning the bounds of God's voice. The second one is circumstances. So when taken in conjunction with responsible Bible study, being directed and led by the Holy Spirit's revelation and insight, um, and the uh, movement of the Holy Spirit in our inner being, our circumstances can be an indicator of God's leading and speaking to us, but they alone cannot determine his voice on their own. So there's a misconception here for some of you who just say, you know what? I just, I, I just roll with the punches. Whatever God is doing around me, I just assume that that's him leading. So here's a second misconception related to experiences. If the door is open, it must be God, all right? That's a misconception. Open or closed doors can't properly on their own function as God's speaking apart from his word and what he's speaking to us, what he's nudging or directing us toward in our spirit. The reason why 
open or closed doors in and of themselves cannot be a guarantee that it's God leading is we don't know what or who more specifically is on the other side of that door. We don't know who is responsible for that door opening or closing. Just by the nature of it opening or closing, this is where we have to drill down in our ability to discern through Scripture, through um, the inward promptings of the Spirit and the movement of the Spirit in our life. We have to discern, Father, what is it that is opening or closing this door? Is it you opening the door? Or is it actually the enemy opening the door to try and trick me, to lead me somewhere that's actually going to harm me or be dangerous? Or is it me opening this door for myself because that's what I want to desire? Is it me creating the opportunity for myself to fulfill my own desires instead of waiting for you on it? So we can't simply say, well, I just follow the open doors and I just walk through every door that opens. That's foolishness. And if you've been doing that, you should probably stop (laughs) and take a more diligent look at why that door is opening and who is behind its opening. All right, last tool for discernment of this three-part sort of thing are the impressions or promptings of the Spirit. These are the the nudges that you have. They're not necessarily the, these aren't the voice of God. These are just sort of the impressions, the nudges that you have. And these, again, alone can't be what lead or direct us. We can't make decisions of discernment based on our belief that this is emphatically the voice of God, if all we're going on are these internal nudges or uh, impressions. And the misconception here is that God directs us primarily through just kind of nudging us and kind of pushing us around, kind of just, um, you know, it's how we feel. Oh, I feel this way about this. So I, I guess it's God. I feel right now like this is what, I want to do and what's so I'm I'm just trusting that it's God that's not wise. So these three components are factors that help us discern if we're within the bounds of God speaking. The Bible, all right, is the number one and primary. Then these internal nudgings like you know, what is God doing in your internal being in nudging you? How, like what is he provoking in your thoughts and feelings and those things. And the third one are circumstances and events around us. So I want to be clear, though, that not any one of these specifically or independently are God's voice, but he does use these in conjunction with his speaking. So in conjunction with these three things, responsible Bible study and meditation on Scripture, all right? the experience of various kinds of movement of the Spirit in our heart, and alertness to circumstances that are around us. These things help us as we seek to hear the voice of God and to know His will. I want to just land this sort of by by just drilling a little bit deeper and how we can recognize the quality of God's voice, just like my voice has a quality to it, just like your voice has a quality to it. When you, uh, you could, um, you know, not be watching this on TV, but somebody could have this on in the other room. And as soon as you hear me speak, you go, Oh, that's Andrew. I've heard that voice. I recognize 
certain distinct qualities about it. And the same thing is true of God's voice. We can recognize and learn to distinguish his voice from our own and his voice from the devil. Number one, um, with the quality of its sound. So this is the tone and style of speech. Is it slow or fast? Is it smooth? Is it blunt or forceful, indirect or to the point? And the point is here, we need to examine scripture and we need to examine scripture and examine like how does God speak with and interact with people? How does he speak when he's leading them um, and out of trial and pain? How does he speak to them when they're uh, standing on the precipice of danger? And how does he speak to them when, when they're blatantly disregarding his voice? It, what is that characterized as? What is the quality of that? For God, it's often a matter of the weight or impact of the impression left on our consciousness that we feel. So the quality of God's voice, I think, can be described uh, with a weight or impact that it leaves with us. And so well, I've come to recognize, and I see this in Scripture, that God's voice has a certain calm and steady force to it that often impacts our soul and leads us toward compliance with him, leads us toward faithfulness and obedience, but it's a, a calm and steady force. The weight or the quality of God's voice is never frantic or anxious or frazzled. If that's what you're hearing, it's not the voice of God. God's voice and his leading is, is never panicking is never, um, you know, running around in circles and yipping and yelping and doing all of these things. There's a, a calm and steady weight to his voice. He's never anxious about things. If you're, you know, hyperventilating and anxious about a certain situation coming up, that's not the voice of God speaking that into your life. That's either stuff going on in you or, or the kingdom of darkness that's trying to, to uh, oppress you with that. All right? His voice is sure and quiet and peaceful, but powerful and weighty. This is what we hear from Scripture. I have experienced this. You know, I've told you this story, and we're not going to go into it in detail, but of how I started here. I didn't want to be leading a church. I didn't want to be preaching. I didn't want to come to this church. But I sensed God's speaking and leading, and I sensed it through my wife, through Rochelle, and through friends of ours challenging me and calling me to the mat, saying that, I, you know, they believed that this is where God was leading, and I, I, I was walking the other way and being disobedient. I didn't want to do it. Once I said yes to this, even in the small way that I did, I would, um, every Saturday night, I'm not exaggerating here. I would lay in bed beside Rochelle and I would say, I hate this. I don't know. Why is God doing this? I don't see how this can fulfill my greatest desires or I his purpose and calling for my life. I, I hate what is happening. I don't like it. I'm uncomfortable. I'm pressed. I'm stressed. I'm, you know, all of this stuff. But there was this calm, steady, weighty force. And, and the best way I can describe it is it was just pushing behind me. My heels were dug in. 
But this voice of God, this presence and leading of God was calmly, but powerfully and forcefully just gently leading behind me. And as much as I didn't like it at the beginning, I also recognized, and it was the weirdest feeling, like I couldn't do anything but this. I, I, like, I, I couldn't. And it was that weighty, leading, sure, peaceful, but powerful leading the voice of God. That's how he leads. And that's part of the quality of his sound. The power of God's voice doesn't come from him barking at us like some alpha dog who's trying to stake his territory. The power of God's voice comes from its truthfulness and its authority over our life. And there's a weightiness to that. Are you, have you heard that? Have you sensed that? Even when he's inviting you to do something that you don't want to do or to turn a direction you're unsure of or, but there's this, this, this weighty presence behind that that doesn't go away and it doesn't relent. It just keeps pressing. That's part of how we can recognize the voice of God. E. Stanley Jones said this, perhaps the rough distinction is this, the voice of the subconscious, our subconscious argues with you, tries to convince you, but the inner voice of God doesn't argue. (laughs) He doesn't try to convince you, he just speaks. And it is self-authenticating. It has the feel of the voice of God within it. If you are rationalizing, arguing with yourself, if you are uh, trying to convince yourself one way or the other, you can be sure, quite sure, that that's not the voice of God. God doesn't try and convince you. (laughs) He doesn't argue with you or put up a temper tantrum with you. There's a weight to his voice because it is self-authenticating and true. Jesus didn't have to jump around and scream or push people over. He was gentle and humble in heart. And yet the people recognized him as one who spoke with authority. So God's voice produces this qualitative effect in our life. We, we can recognize, oh, I think that this is the character and quality of God's voice. And we can also recognize it by the effect that it has on those around us and on the environment around us. God's voice brings peace and joy and life and confidence. It's important to observe these qualitative effects and record them in our memory so that we can learn to distinguish his voice. It's why at the end of these group experiences, I ask the people very intentionally, not because I really care about their feelings <laughs> per se, but how do you feel right now? You've spent an hour listening to the voice of God, hearing his conviction. You've spent time hearing him speak truth. We've spent time in communion. We've spent time hearing him in his word. We've spent time reflecting. We've spent time in worship. How do you feel right now? And often their response is, I feel peace. I feel calm. I feel sure that I can make it today. I feel strength. I feel encouraged. We need to recognize these are the byproducts of having heard the voice of God and been in the, in the presence of God. All right. So that's quality number one uh, or characteristic one, the quality of his voice. The second one, the spirit of his voice. All right. 
Is it passionate or cold and pedantic? Is it void of emotion? Is it whining or demanding, timid or confident, commanding or coaxing? When you're discerning whether it's God's voice, it's good to ask these questions because the spirit of God's voice comes with peacefulness, confidence, and joy. It isn't the voice of a bully or someone lashing out or bringing condemnation to you. Recognizing the spirit of his voice and being able to quantify that and in the moment discern is what I'm hearing demanding or whining or aggressive and agitated. If it is, it's most likely not the voice of God because God's voice comes with peace. He never lashes out or or, you know, oppresses us with condemnation. We can recognize the character of Jesus. And it's why knowing Jesus in the scripture, spending time in the word is so important. So how did Jesus interact with people? What was the spirit and tone of his interaction with people? How did he speak to them? He had compassion on them. He led them like a gentle and loving shepherd would. These are the characteristics of the spirit of God's tone. James 3.17 says this, the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap harvest. James is talking about the quality, the, the spirit of God's voice. We can recognize it when it comes with these attributes. The last one, the content of his voice is the information conveyed. All right, so this is the content, is what is the content of what you're hearing in alignment with scripture? Because God will never contradict his word, right? He'll never contradict his nature or his character. He'll never contradict the life and divinity of Jesus. He'll never contradict the way of salvation. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. That's not up for debate. He'll never contradict the realities of heaven and hell. He'll never contradict the the reality of sin. The wages of sin are death. You cannot earn your way to God. You cannot accumulate enough good work. The wages of sin is death. So we have to look at the content of what we're hearing. Does it line up with Scripture? Again, we can take Jesus's life as a complete model for this. He said, I'm the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. So the question is, what has Jesus said in his word about my situation? What does he say in his word about my heart attitude right now or what I'm desiring? How did Jesus treat those around him? That's an indicator of a a pattern of living that we need to be aware of. That's the indicator of the, the kind of content of voice that comes with God's voice. What is the standard for living? Jesus sets, Matthew 5 to 7, we've talked about this. Jesus sets a higher standard for life. So if the voice you're hearing is telling you you know, to shoot for the lowest common denominator. 
and to figure out how to rationalize sin and how to justify it through jumping through theological and exegetical hoops and trying to twist and distort scripture and, and, you know, looking to academia to define what is moral today and what is acceptable. That's not the voice of God. God sets a higher standard and Jesus set an even higher standard for life. And he's not just looking at your actions. He's looking at your intentions in your heart, what you desire that leads to your actions is what Jesus is really after. What example did Jesus give and how he carried himself? This is how we can understand the content. Is the content of what I'm hearing consistent with what I see in the life of Jesus? How did his disciples conduct themselves? What was their general experience? What principles can I extract from the whole of the New Testament that can either, uh, you know, come into alignment with the content of what I'm hearing or, you know, um, oppose it? And this is where we need to guard against spiritual panacea, something like spiritual panacea that tells us maybe we should approach the Bible like a self-help how-to on how to live wealthy and healthy. That what God just wants for you is you to be wealthy and he wants for you to live without any pain or trial or circumstance. And anything that comes your way that's difficult, he wants you, you know, to rebuke it and he wants to heal it. And that's not what we find in scripture. That's not the content of the New Testament. So these are ways that we can recognize the voice of God. We can investigate the principles. Lastly, really quickly, thanks for sticking with me. Satan's voice. Satan doesn't come to us revealing his true nature and colors. He doesn't come to us as the lying, deceiving, evil, evil being that he is. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11, he said, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Satan doesn't come to you and just reveal his colors. He actually comes to you through your thoughts and perceptions. And he comes in an enticing way. He comes in a way like he quoted scripture to Jesus very subtly. But Jesus knew his father and he knew the voice of his father and he could distinguish between the subtle attacks of the enemy, the subtle lure of the enemy towards sin and rebellion and unfaithfulness and the voice of his father. Satan was using the tactics of disguise, disguising himself as having better motives and your best intention at heart. And that's how he comes to us. And so it's not always obvious. So that's again, why we need to invest in understanding and knowing scripture and invest in knowing the character, the quality, the spirit, and the content of the way that God speaks to us. We need to use our experiences and scripture as our plumb line and the inner working of God in our heart. And we need to invest in the practices of Jesus if we wanna live like the disciples and Jesus did. We need to invest in the practices of solitude and silence and fasting and prayer and Bible study, meditating on scripture, memorizing scripture. Frederick B. Meyer said this, the written word is the wire along which the voice of God will certainly come to you if the heart is hushed and the attention is fixed. Many of us want the results 
of the people in the Bible we, we read about. We want the results of the disciples. We want the results of Jesus, but we're not willing to live and practice what Jesus himself practiced, what the disciples practiced. So here's my challenge to you. You need to begin, and I need to begin, to d- devote our lives to practicing what Jesus practiced. I wanna challenge you, begin to incorporate today, this week, 10 minutes of silence before God. Throughout your, at any point in the day, I'm not even gonna tell you to do it in the morning, 10 minutes where you just come to God, say, search my heart, God, test me and know me. Psalm 139, 23 and 24, test me and know me. I wanna listen for your voice. I'm gonna sit in your presence. This is what Jesus practiced and modeled what the disciples practiced and modeled. Fasting, we just finished that. Study and meditating on scripture. Moses, um, you know, his successor was Joshua. And God said to Joshua, if you will meditate on my word, if you will hide it deep in your heart, then you will walk in my ways and in wisdom. You'll walk under my leadership, which is good. You and I can do the same. God wants us to be able to recognize the quality, spirit, and content of his voice. We need to know the word, but we need to be filled with the revelation of the Holy Spirit as we're reading the word, as we're practicing solitude and silence, prayer, uh, memorization, meditation on scripture. These are the things that will help us define and develop the voice of God in our lives. We hope that you are challenged and inspired by what you heard today and that you're willing to allow God to work in and through your life in bigger ways this week. We'd love to stay connected with you on social media, facebook.com slash mountainparkchurch and instagram.com slash mountainparkchurch. Finally, if you have a story of how God has been working in and through you, we'd love to hear it. Just email us at mystory@mp.church at and tell us how God has been working in your life lately.